players gather to cast powerful spells. Some of the oldest and most powerful in the history of Magic the Gathering. Dark Ritual, Underworld Breach, Terminus, and many others. Battling head-to-head -head in brutal combat, they all have one thing in common. To uphold their legacy and the search for eternal glory. The Eternal Glory Podcast is sponsored by Cardboard Live, Bosch and Roll on YouTube, Thraben University, and TheEpicStorm.com. Good afternoon, evening, whenever you are, wherever you are, welcome to the Eternal Glory Podcast. We are back once again with a new staff. I'm Phil Gallagher, joined by Bryant Cook and Brian Koval. How are you all doing tonight? Pretty great. Stoked to be here. Hello, hello, hello. I am so excited to be back. So I think it's been probably almost six months. It, it's been a little while since we've had one of these. I think the, the last one was around Halloween. Does that sound about right? The last one broke down Eternal Weekend. I listened to it uh, in the last couple of days to study up to be on the show now. And yeah, it, uh, you guys were talking about Eternal Weekend when we left off. Yeah, that was November 10th. There was a lot of talk about how Bryant was going to beat me in the Legacy Premier League. You know, we there were a lot of silly things going on back then, but we'll, we'll move past those. No need to talk about previous shows. All right, daggers out. So uh, why don't you guys tell us a little bit about yourselves for some of the listeners who may not know who you are. All right. So I'm Brian Koval. I have a YouTube channel. It's Bosch and Roll, B-O-S-H, the letter N-R-O-L-L. That's also my Twitter handle. I used to stream. I don't do that so much, focusing on the pre-recorded stuff with YouTube. Uh, I focus on eternal constructed formats. So that's uh, Pioneer, Modern, Legacy, and Vintage. And... Uh, some credentials, I guess. Uh, I won a Star City Invitational. I have a Star City Finals appearance in Modern. The Envy win was also Modern. I have, I think, six classic top eights with two wins in Legacy. I won a Modern Grand Prix. And I'm a uh, PT regular at this point. I'm queued for the next two. I've played in the last one. So hoping to get on the train, whatever that means these days. I didn't realize you played that many formats regularly. Uh, kudos to you. Oh, I, pl I play everything. Uh, I never touched standard before Arena, but Arena has made a standard so approachable that it's easy to just you know throw your mouse around while you're watching TV or something. You don't have to boot up Moto. You don't have to buy cards. Oh, it's so nice to be able to get into standard without spending any money at all. That's That's fair. I just... I, I do one thing. It, it's it's legacy. I get talked into cube or vintage from time to time, but like, I've, I've got a comfort zone and I stay in it. Oh, you mentioned vintage. I uh, I forgot uh, a couple of my credentials. Uh, my bad. Um, I have top aided the last four consecutive Eternal Weekends, one in legacy and then three vintage in a row with a win in uh, 2018. So uh, I, I do also play a lot of vintage and I have some legacy uh, on my resume as well. Uh, but my big wins have been in modern for the most part. 
So you mentioned Pioneer. I've recently gotten into Pioneer. The Lotus Breach deck is so much fun, but I, it's a little repetitive. Like, I'll play, like, two or three leagues, and then, like, I'll stop, and then a week will go by, and I'll play two or three more leagues once I remember how much fun it is, if that makes sense. But uh, enough about Pioneer. People don't listen to us for that. Uh, we would like to say uh, Anrag Das has left us. He's joined a new podcast. We will miss him uh, dearly. And Wilson Hunter will be joining us when he can. Uh, he's a busy guy. He has a family running Cardboard Live and a lot of other things. So Wilson will be joining us here or there. All right. Uh, I guess I should take a minute to introduce myself, too. Um, so I'm Phil Gallagher. I run Thraven University, a site for death and taxes. And I've sort of become a variety streamer on Twitch rather than just like being the D&T guy. Um, it started out that like D&T was all I did all the time, just forced it in any format. Um, but my content has kind of shifted in the last year and a half or so. Um, so just to give you an example, I think my last few five O's are with mono black planeswalkers, 12 post red prison enchantress. Um, so these days I'm, I'm playing a little bit of everything. Um, I don't have quite the, the pedigree as our, uh, last co-host did. Um, but I've got like a legacy classic top eight, a challenge win with red prison, uh, another challenge, either top eight or top four with D and T and I don't know. Probably about two dozen IQ top eights or something like that. You lose track after a while. You just get like a jar of pins and they, they sit there and pile up with the play mats and get everywhere. It's, it's horrible. I think the first time we ever interacted was the invitational I won was with Death and Taxes in Modern. And I think you were among the people who messaged me asking about the list, asking if it was good. And I had to break every one of your hearts saying, no, it was good for that tournament. And it was immediately never good again. And sorry, Death and Taxes players, but Modern is not the format for you. All right. So like 30 second Modern aside. So I moved to Shelby, North Carolina from Roanoke uh, this summer to take a new job. Um, I'm a Latin teacher for anyone who doesn't know. And there, there's no legacy unless you go to Charlotte here. So I'm like, all right, I need to meet friends. I need to interact with real people. So I'm going to play Modern. So I got the stuff for Modern Death and Taxes knowing it wasn't going to be good. And I... I made it like three weeks before I was just like, I can't do it. This deck's so bad. Just absolutely cannot play this format with death and taxes. And I stopped showing up. All right. So why don't we, uh, I would like to take a moment to give a special shout out to Phil Blackman at force of Phil on Twitter, who is also part of the eternal Dirtles podcast. Who is our editor. He does a terrific job. And we recently gave Phil a raise. Uh, Wilson Hunter did not approve this message, but, it's not my money, so. Um, and on, on that note, thank you for everyone who has chosen to donate to uh, this podcast. We really do uh, appreciate it, and your money is going to go towards things like hosting and the website and, and all that jazz. Um, so, Bryant, you have the list of people who have donated between the last episode and this one. I do. Henrik Korkok, who's also a fan of the Epic Storm. Uh, Marshall Arthurs, who's a former teammate of myself and Brian's, we did a uh, a team open about a year ago. How did we do in that tournament, Brian? Uh, it was bad. We went three and three. Uh, Marshall, I think went like six zero, and the two of us couldn't scrape together wins. Yeah, uh, we each went three and three individually, but like at the wrong time. I, I guess that's not possible because if Marshall was six zero, we must have like 
just split it all wrong where you and I would win in the same match and then we'd lose at the same time. So yeah, Marshall was an absolute beast, but uh, I was on Is It Phoenix in Modern at the height of its power and you were on the Epic Storm, obviously, and you just ran into Chalice and Trinisphere all day and I couldn't buy a win with the with, with the deck that would eventually get a card banned. So that was a weird weekend, but thanks Marshall for remembering your teammates. Yeah. Uh, Marshall listens to every episode and messages me. Uh, he's a great listener. I really appreciate all of his donations. Uh, and then fan favorite Dick Fisher. His uh, donation even had a note begging us to come back. And I want to say this was like in December. So uh, Dick, we are finally back. We hope you still listen. Uh, but in general, thank you everyone for your donations. We greatly appreciate it. Most of it goes towards paying for our editing. So if you like listening to us, that's where the money goes for a majority of the cost. So once again, thank you, thank you, thank you. So what's coming up in the world of Legacy? You know, what do we have to, to look forward to, to play in, that sort of jazz? I know that my eyes are currently on the 20K in Missouri in about three weeks. I want to say it's March 21st. Uh, I bought a very, very expensive plane ticket there. Uh, my plane ticket was $525, and the weekend before and after, it was like 225 and I couldn't figure out why that was. Oof. Must be some, like, concert or something in the area or, or, or something. Who knows? The, the day that legacy players are causing prices of real-world stuff other than just pieces of cardboard to change, that's, that's when we've made it. Uh, to be honest, I I don't even know if, like, Legacy influences card prices, to be honest. Uh, like, if it does, it's barely. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever tried to get an Airbnb near a tournament venue with uh, less than two weeks' notice, but uh, Magic players can definitely affect the price of real-world things. Probably not a plane ticket, but definitely lodging. Maybe the airline's in on it. Yeah, does Jeremy own the airline? Is that is that how he pays for all this? Uh, speaking of Jeremy's events, there's also a 40k coming up in September. I was one of the lucky few out of the 250 that registered. I registered. It took me three minutes to find the link. And when I had registered, I was 48th. I was in the middle of teaching a class when those went live. And I thought, surely, surely I can wait, you know, 30 or 40 minutes to sign up for this event. No. Should have canceled the class. You blew it. Yeah, that's what I get for teaching Latin. Really, it's on me. Misplay. Yeah, so uh, my story for that is that uh, one of my dear friends, Alex Bestecki, who won a Legacy Star City Invitational a few years ago, he's getting married that day, so I was never even in the game. No <laughs> chance. That's rough. Which is good, because I'm not going to pretend I would have been responsible and thought it would sell out in 30 minutes and set an alarm and been at my computer. So uh, it's kind of a relief that I... Was just never in. When I was on leaving a legacy about a month ago, I made a joke about how I was begging Jeremy to not select my wedding date, and thankfully that didn't happen. But it's also like five months after, so I'm completely okay with that. It wasn't even close. So thank you, Jeremy. I greatly appreciate it. Yep, he did that for you. He told me that. Oh, what a nice guy! I'll have to buy him a beer when I'm in St. Louis. Re really though, can like we just take a second to talk about how cool he is? Um, for anyone who doesn't follow him on Twitter, I highly suggest it. Uh, is it Missouri underscore MTG? Um, yeah, he's always posting about how if anyone needs something at a tournament site, you know, whether it's, you know, deodorant, chapstick, you know, toiletries, things of that nature, he has your back. 
Um, and I just think that's so cool. He tweeted today that he is going to go around between all the rounds at his 20K with hand sanitizer to encourage health in our in these trying times with the coronavirus sweeping the world. So that's pretty cool. I don't know if either of you had listened to previous episodes, but uh, I actually keep hand, hand sanitizer in my bag due to playing a modern GP where my opponent was sneezing into their hands over and over and I just couldn't take it and i ended up like having to call a judge but that creeped me out so much that i keep hand hand sanitizer in my bag so i have a key ring hanging from my backpack so i don't even need to open my bag for it but uh i believe that brian actually still owes me a beer from like two years ago where he yeah. won a winning in because somebody thought he was me <laughs> well all right let let's slow it down it wasn't a winning in it was earlier in the tournament however my opponent did sit down and they were like, oh no, Brian Koval. And like they said my name out loud. It's not like they thought I was Brian Cook, but like they knew they recognized my name and they just like mauled a five or something to make sure they had the force of will. And I was just like, I was just like Tundra Go. And they were like, what just happened? And so like I just easily destroyed them. I believe I did win that tournament. That was, that was my legacy classic win in Baltimore, I think. So uh, yeah. I, I do owe Bryant a beer, though. The last time we hung out, he sort of slunk away in shame into the night after we bricked off with our nuts team at that Star City Open. Yeah, we all sort of melted away into the shadows after that one. The team events are awesome when they go well, and then sometimes they go horribly. Like the last team event I played in, I was playing Death and Taxes, and it was just like round one elves. My opponent goes Forest Land of War, elves go, and I just turned to my other two players and I'm like, you two have to win these. And then round two, my opponent belchered me on turn one, two games in a row. So. Yep, live and die by the mother. Usually, usually die right now. Right. I played in a team event yesterday. It was Pioneer Modern Legacy. And I was in the Pioneer seed. I'm fresh off uh, PT Phoenix, where it was a Pioneer tournament. So I had tons of work in on that format. And my Modern seed, I was like, hey, this Breach deck is broken. You should play that. And my Legacy seed, I was like, hey, this Breach deck is broken. They played Jund, Shadow, and Grixis Delver, respectively, and we did not do well in the tournament. Uh, so there's a 2.5K coming up in Syracuse, New York, on March 26th uh, at From the Vault Games. It's their one-year anniversary event. Uh, re- usually these are 2Ks, but this one's going to be a 2.5K to celebrate, so the entire top 16 will get paid out. These are usually about like 40 to 45 people. I would really appreciate it if uh, some more people came out for this event. The store's terrific. They do this almost every month. They love supporting Legacy. So I just want to give them a quick shout out in our event section that we are, you know, come support from the Vault Games. They're a great store and they love Legacy. I'm just repeating myself now, so I'm going to stop. I mean, that sounds like great <laughs> EV to me. Like 40 people, 2.5K. Like, get, get in there. Just play. Yeah. So uh, recently, there's been a lot of Premier uh, Magic the Gathering Online events. One of them was actually today, the Showcase Challenge. When we were starting our intro, it actually just ended. Uh, congratulations to Callum Whitefaces Smith on the 10-1 victory today with Jeskai Breach, who defeated Marcus Ewald in the finals, also on Jeskai Breach, which... Uh, Sort of goes into our topic for today, but we're going to pause on that for a second. So congratulations to those two. Oh, absolutely. He, I think he doesn't have as good of a reputation as he deserves. Because a lot of times he plays these like crazy piles, right? And like he does a lot of brewing, but he's actually a very powerful wizard. 
Yeah, there are a number of people who just like lurk around in the internet who should have thousands of followers, but they don't. And I feel like most of my success is owed to the fact that I'm one of their 200 followers that and the other people in the room aren't. Uh, people like uh, the Power Nine and Vintage and like Justin Gennari and uh, Callum and Legacy. Like there's these just crazy brewers who are so smart and I don't know how to build decks, like, especially from scratch, like seeing just a new card, like Underworld Breach on the spoiler, and you're like, all right, I'm going to build the broken deck. I can't do that. But if you put it in front of me, I'll make it sing. And these unsung heroes out on the internet, just quietly raking in their play points on Moto. Yeah, I can, I can tune. I get shipped a lot of bad deck deck lists that I I make better, but I, I can't build something new from scratch. I think that's so hard. So, Brian, you've played in one of these uh, online premiere events. How'd that one go for you? I played in the first uh, showcase challenge that was about two months ago at this point. I started off 5-0 and oh, and then lost my last two rounds to come in ninth. But uh, it happens. I've done a little bit of deck building in my past, as many of you know. Uh, but at this point, I'd say I'm mostly a tuner. I don't really have the time to sit and brew up new decks. Uh, full-time job, you know, getting married, all that stuff. It's very time consuming. Yeah, all you do now is just add new decimal points onto TES. Very, very accurate. But it seems to be working out well for you, so. I've had a pretty good few months. Uh, so normally at this point, we would do feedback from the previous episode. However, uh, the two co-hosts from that episode aren't on this one. And honestly, I don't think it's very relevant. I don't even think Ren and Six was banned yet. Uh, back in November. So we're going to skip over feedback. If there's anyone that desperately wanted feedback on episode 18, I would recommend uh, emailing Anurag Das personally and see if he'll respond. <laughs> yeah, did you guys see the two brazen borrowers in the list that won Eternal Weekend? That was insane. <laughs> Do we want to talk about the implications of Throne of Eldraine and Legacy a little more? Or are we good to move forward? <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm looking at the clock here. Uh, might as well move forward. All right, that whole set's been banned anyway, so let's move it forward. So our topic for today is Dissecting Underworld Breach, uh, which is, you know, kind of convenient considering it was first and second in the Showcase Challenge tonight. Uh, I'll start, because I, I probably have the, the least to say, you know, because I'm, I'm not too much of a combo player. So when I first looked at this card, my thought was, this card is good, but in order to be legacy viable, you have to be better than good. You have to be great. Because there's so many other very good, fast combo decks in Legacy. You know, you have TES, you have Ant, you have Red-Black Reanimator, and then a handful of fringe, somewhat unstable options as well. So in order to break into the format, you have to be better than at least one of those three decks at doing at least one thing. So when I looked at that card, I was like, eh, brain freeze yourself? Then... What? And you fold to all this graveyard hate, everyone can interact with you, all the cards for Storm are going to be good with you. And so I was I was skeptical, but optimistic that that card would be, like, legacy playable and start a new archetype. For those of you who have played against it, you, you know maybe I was a little wrong there, but we'll get to me being wrong in a minute. Uh, my thoughts were similar to Phil's. Like, you, you see this card and, and it's pretty clearly this is either broken or unplayable and there's no space in between like nobody's gonna like underworld breach to regrow a dark confidant and a tarmogoyf on turn six just out of their jun deck like that's not what this is for and that's not going to surprise anyone uh but it's also just like 
despite the surface similarities, it's not Past in Flames. It's not even close. It's just a completely different card than that. And so it would have to spawn a new archetype. It doesn't just go into Storm. Like, it's not literally Yawgmoth's Will. It's Yawgmoth's Will with some work involved. And uh, I was... I, I remember a tweet. It was either Justin Gennari or Max Gilmore. And their tweet was, brain freeze, brain freeze me, brain freeze me, brain freeze you. That was the whole tweet. And I was like, oh my god. That's it. That's the engine. So that that's when I went from like, Maybe this is good to, oh, no, I think it's broken. But let's see how it fleshes out. Like, I, I'm not a chicken little. I don't always think that the format's going to die at, based on some broken card. Like, let's see how it shakes out. But, uh, yeah, when when I remember Brain Freeze is a thing that exists, and it just lines up so perfectly with what Underworld Breach is asking you to do, and then it also kills your opponent. Like, that, that package just built in ready to go. Uh, there had to be something there. I was worried that we were going to have like another Bolas's Citadel, where it was going to be like close but no cigar. I was going to cover Bolas's Citadel. Alright, so. you do it then. Jeez. Alright, so uh, I tend to err on the side of caution for most spoilers. I tend to be a little bit reserved. I like seeing, like Brian, I like seeing how things pan out. Uh, so until I see it being degenerate, I'm not always convinced, because the level of playability in Legacy is so high for a card to be good. Where a lot of things that get spoiled, people overreact a little bit. Uh, Cling to Dust comes to mind where people are very high on cards and they end up, you know, never seeing the light of day. So this happens so often that I'm always skeptical of what's going to be good. And Underworld Breach was that for me. So I initially thought this card wasn't viable in Storm Strategies because it was very resource intensive. In order to bring back a Lion's Eye Diamond, you would have to remove... Like two fetch lands and a lotus petal, which hurts your cabal ritual. Or in TES, you don't have uh, cards that actually go to the graveyard when you're running Wishclaw Talisman and Mox Opal. So, like in Storm Strategies, I didn't see this card being, you know, that great. So, like most people, they're like, hey, uh, when new spoilers happen, they'll see Echo of Aeons or Boasa Citadel, and people say, well, this is going to be its own engine, it's going to be a different deck. So rarely is that true, where these cards end up making their own archetype or own deck. Uh, Underworld Breach obviously did, and I was wrong on that. Uh, but people say stuff like that all the time, and it's just like, Ant and TS are so refined, and so many of these other combo decks where you really have to be doing something very different or much better in order to exist in the same world as these decks. Uh, so Underworld uh, Breach, I think what I overlooked on it, was the splash color, if I had to be completely honest. So I didn't see uh, the silence or Orem's chant effect in the deck. So when I made my initial judgments, I wasn't thinking about how you would have protection from things like abrupt decay or surgical extraction. So a lot of my earlier comments were regarding, I think this card's like pretty weak to graveyard hate. I wasn't thinking that they were going to be playing TES tech from 20 or 2009. I, th I think no one saw coming how good the sideboard cards and some of the main deck cards were going to be for this deck. Um, we're going to get into that a little bit later when we talk about like fighting against the deck, um, but the deck just does absolutely disgusting things with wear tear, swords to plowshares, serenity, and the main deck, Orem's Chance. Uh, it's just insane. Yeah, I'll echo all of that. The the all of the original lists that were coming out, like when uh, 
Theros was dropped, uh, they were all Grixis uh, because those are the storm colors, right? Like, obviously. And people were like arguing over like the Grixis storm mana base is already solved. Like, what are you doing with Prismatic Vista? Like, those were the discussions happening. No one was talking about let's play Tundra. So uh, <laughs> it took took a quick right turn and got a lot better as a result. So I know that Phil disagrees with me on this a little bit. But out of the gate, I thought the deck didn't have a good secondary plan. So when you look at Ant or TES, they both have secondary plans if their main plan doesn't work. And all of the Underworld Breach decks had zero backup plans, even in the sideboard. And then there was a couple lists that played like two Monastery Mentor on the board. And I think Mentor's fine. I just like, I don't think it's insane out of a deck where its main plan is so good it can plow through hate. So I'll often see people with like a screenshot where they had Leyline of the Void and Chalice in play. And then they're like, guess what? I lost because that's how good this Underworld Breach deck is. So I'll, I'll write a love letter to Mentor. So in paper events at my local store back when I was playing at like the Star City brick and mortar store in Roanoke, um, I played Tin Fins a lot for funsies. And Tin Fins always had the, the man plan in the sideboard, where you would board in, like, four Dark Confidants and, like, four Mentors and just, like, completely ignore the graveyard that everyone is expecting to hate you out with. And that plan just, like, gets so many people. Now, with Breach, the deck lists are super popular and well-known, and everyone knows the Mentors are coming, but there's this huge tension in how you board. Because you have to respect the Mentors while also respecting the combo. And it's really hard to do both of those for a lot of lists since they require such disparate answers. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I know that Reed Duke was talking about how I was watching one of his streams because he's been streaming a lot of Legacy recently, how he had planned it very heavy for the combo and only had one answer to Mentor. And Reed's opponent slammed a turn two Mentor with Force Backup, and that was just it. Yeah, that's frequently the game. Like, uh, I have a lot of experience playing monastery mentor and also in vintage i I have a bunch of uh highly level finishes with paradoxical outcome and my secret to building paradoxical outcome is just always have some beat down animal in your sideboard i just get off that plan like game two when like the null rods are coming in or in the case of breach like they're bringing in rest in peace they're keeping like shaky five or six card hands with a ley line it's just like all right great mentor you're you get to like mana gorge or hydra people too yeah gorgeous yeah that that card i i've killed a lot of people with mana gorge around you and uh when i'm playing some po and vintage i'm a big fan of sphinx of the steel win over blight seal colossus it's got a soft spot for me can't be hit by dak faden or the more recent oko so uh but let's get back to legacy we keep on shifting over to other formats. No one cares what I think about Pioneer or Vintage. So are we ready to talk about like our current opinions then? Sure. Uh, I was going to say, in hindsight, I was very wrong about Underworld Breach. It keeps on getting brought up in like Twitter and stuff about how I was wrong. It's okay to be wrong. Uh, not everyone's going to be right all the time. And I'd rather err on the side of caution than err on the side that everything is broken. I don't know. That's pretty much what I was going to say before the lead. Well, I've got like a scientific background, right? I've got a biology degree. And the cool thing about science is when you get new data, you're allowed to change your mind. You're allowed to change your hypothesis, right? You don't have to stick with, well, I thought leeches were real good for me. You know, we're better than that Great. now. Isn't that super liberating? Like when, when you're willing to 
uh, confront new data and change your opinion about things, life gets so much easier than if you're just so scared to be wrong. Like it's it, it's really great. Like letting yourself be wrong is really healthy. Yeah. So I'll do the lead on on for what we think now. I think Underworld Breach is by far the best deck in Legacy. If you check out the front page of MTG Goldfish for the Legacy section, uh, Jeskai Breach has overtaken Delver. And I say Delver with air quotes because they've combined both Grixis and Blue Red Delver into one archetype. And uh, Jeskai Breach has overtaken the entire Delver archetype at number one. That's how good this deck is. But when I check Reddit or the Leaving a Legacy Facebook group, I see comments like, so when are they going to ban Oko on Veil of Summer? And it makes me want to pull my hair out because I feel like Jeskai Breach is getting away with sins for, from other cards because everyone's looking left. And meanwhile, it's running everything over with an 18-wheeler on the right. Excuse me. It's sir, just so good. Sir, please, in talking about your ban discussions, you forgot to mention Arkham's Astrolabe. Clearly, that's a big factor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um... I don't know. It's just like Jeskai Breach is so good. Uh, and like I mentioned, I think white is the real difference maker. I think the just straight blue white or the blue red list urn is good. Savine's Reclamation getting back both LED and Breach if you brain freeze yourself is an incredible line that I think wh whoever found that is a genius. It reminds me of the old uh, High Tide days, uh, Solidarity, where they would brain freeze themselves into uh, Flash of Insight. Uh, exiling a bunch of cards in their graveyard and then finding the next piece they needed like it reminds me of that which like fills me up with a little bit of joy but at the same time i realize that i'm probably dead the second this happens to me so you know it's a little bit bittersweet it is egregious that that deck can win via combo through a meddling mage on breach yeah it's pretty cool um white also offers enlightened tutor which makes the deck more consistent. It's uh, fallen out of favor the last few weeks, but I've still seen some people on it. It allows the deck be, to be slightly faster, which I think is why some people are leaning towards it. It also finds you your answers to hate post-board. Like it just finds the Serenity on turn two to get through Leyline, to get through Chalice, those sort of things. So I think Light Tutor is a lot better post-board than it is pre-board, but I don't know. I'm not in the Jeskai Breach discussion groups, so... I could be wrong in that. That's just my opinion. Um, but like I mentioned, I think the Breach deck is just so strong that it just plows through most of the hate. And the Mentor plan, while good, I don't know if it's necessarily needed, if that makes sense. I think the Mentor package allows you to pivot roles much more frequently and flexibly, which I think is very important because this deck isn't always playing the combo role. Sometimes you end up being a control role for three or four turns until you like you have enough resources to start going off. And when you have the mentors in there too, you can just take the like I'm tapping out on turn two aggro role and then play defensively with your mentor from there while churning through cantrips to protect it better. I think that pivoting is huge. Yeah, that's the the real sell. It's not that like monastery mentor in a deck full of just uh, cantrips is necessarily a great strategy or else we'd see more like tempo mentor decks in general but the the fact that you get to like shove this card that is so the opposite of what anyone uh, of what they brought in like they probably cut their plows to bring in like disenchant and tormod script or whatever and now you have this card that just runs over it and then they have to frantically spew their resources brainstorm cantrip to find their 
the one supreme verdict they left in the deck or whatever, or their plague engineer, and then you combo them out. So like it's it's just it's the old pincher technique from Roman warfare. I'm uh, slightly familiar with this strategy. I've played a couple of Xanid Swarms in my heyday, maybe a few Hope of Gearper. Uh, and I completely get that, and I agree with you guys. Um, but Brian, why don't you tell us what you think about Breach now? Uh, I think it's just the best deck. Like, uh, It's definitely Tier 1. It may be the only thing in Tier 1. Uh, I uh, With my... Uh, with my PT prep recently, I, I've been my attention has been away from Legacy more than I like it to be, uh, and you know, be t- the the time between uh, being invited to do this podcast and us recording was not long enough for me to completely get thousands of reps in. But uh, I think this deck is probably on the BS side of good, like just and the BS does not stand for brainstorm. It, it so uh, it it's. We've been talking about it for you know, 20 minutes now, and I feel like I've said most of the things I I can say about it. It just it's a blue co- combo control deck. It has force of will, and it has like a real win condition in the alternate win condition in the sideboard, and it's just I don't know. It has everything that I love in a deck, and everything that I can see making other people run screaming from the format. Ooh, let me pull on that last thread there. So I think the thing that makes Breach so good is that it beats everything that people are boarding to beat Breach. So you go, all right, Surgical Extraction. That beats the graveyard-based combo deck. And then they cast Orem's Chant, and you go, oh no, this card does nothing now. Or you play Mindbreak Trap, and before they cast their third, third spell, they just silence you or they just spell pierce it or force it they can just win through a thalia or a thorn of amethyst like if they have led that does not bother them at all so so many they also have wear tear for two permanent hate cards Uh, yeah we'll talk about that later and serenity like it's rough so breach so frequently beats the things that people are playing to beat breach and that's often one of the signs that, like, this is not healthy. Yeah, that's like the the old, like, uh, Haterator deck in, like, Mirrodin Standard, where everyone was on Affinity, and there was just this, like, mono-green deck with, like, Boulder Slug and these preposterous cards that every single card in the deck said destroy target artifact, and that deck still lost to Affinity. And that's what these, yeah, just main deck oxidize. Uh that, like these, uh, when when you you're building a deck to beat a deck and you're still losing to that deck, that deck might be too good. So I'd like to talk about one thing before we uh, head over to section three, and that's it's like a sub thing, but I'd like to discuss it. So I think I see a lot of online how people refer to it as breach storm. I feel like that's a little bit disingenuous. I wouldn't really consider breach to be a storm deck personally. Uh, mostly because Breach is more of an A plus B deck, a little bit closer to show and tell than it is Storm. So if you look at Ant or TES, they're engine decks. They need all seven cards in their hand, and they're trying to accomplish a goal that requires a lot of resources. Breach is more like show and tell, where you're simply assembling A plus B, and the rest of your cards don't matter. Like, they're fine discarding five cards to Lion's Eye Diamond if it means that you're dead this turn. And... 
they just don't play very similarly. And I feel like that's part of the play pattern of being a force of will blue deck than a duress based deck. And I've had some people say to me, but Bryant brain freeze literally says storm. <sighs> sure. That is technically true. But at the same time, would you consider the Epic storm to be a blue deck because it has brainstorm? Um, Breach could simply be playing Tome Scour instead of Brain Freeze. Like, it doesn't really matter what's milling their deck. It's just that this is the effect that best mills themselves, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with that. I've always considered Monastery Mentor a storm kill, just while we're on the subject. Monastery Swift Spear as well. Anything with prowess is a storm kill. I'm on record with that. All right, so if we, we drew one of those, like, D&D alignment charts, we uh, we can come up with all sorts of different opinions about what is and isn't Storm. Yeah. I am chaotic evil when it comes to Storm. It, it, it depends on your definition. It depends on how invested you are in having the conversation at all. Like, I mostly don't care, but I'm less invested in Storm as an archetype than you are. So I understand your point, and if we're going to get into the weeds, I agree with it. Like, I, I'm not... I have no interest in debating you, and I think you're right if, we, if we're if we in a world where we care about this, and some people are, and I respect that. Uh, it's not like an end-all, be-all thing for me. It's just I see it a lot, and I, I question it is all. So I figured I'd say my opinion on the topic. All right. So, Phil, do you have anything before we head over to Section 3? Nah, let's, let's talk about, like, the different kinds of Breach decks, because, like, although we've been referring to it largely as just Breach, um, there's a little more nuance there than just that. All right, so there's three major versions, in my opinion. There's Jeskai with Enlightened Tutor and Grinding Station, and you'll often see Cyborg Serenity. Uh, there's Jeskai with the Intuition Package with Savine's Reclamation. Although I started to see Savine's in the Enlightened Tutor version, uh, just because you don't really need other cards to support it. Like, Intuition's nice, but you can also just Brain Freeze yourself. And then, uh, like, just Grixis versions with Discard. Uh, I've seen a cool card from Shadowmore. Brian will have to remind me what it is. Memory Sluice? But it, yes, that's what it is. That card is so cool. Um, <laughs> I know blue cards too. But why don't we discuss playing against Breach a little bit? Phil, why don't you take it away? Um, so I'm coming from I'm coming to this section largely as someone who is playing like the Chalice and Thalia decks. Um, so so that's gonna be my role here. So the first thing to understand is one piece of hate does not beat Breach. You need to understand that at an intuitive level, first of all. It's because they can beat just about any one piece of hate without actually removing it. That's not always true, but it's frequently true. So if you play something like Phyrexian Revoker on LED, they can just combo off with Lotus Petal instead. If you play a Thalia or a Thorn with LED, they can combo off through that and not have to remove it. So you have to understand that you are either going to need multiple pieces of hate or a very good piece of hate backed up with a very fast clock um, if you are looking to beat this deck via like permanence. For what it's worth, uh, I think effects like Grafdigger's Cage aren't as good because it allows the Jeskai Breach player to fuel up their graveyard to later use those cards for the escape cost. Or something like Leyline of the Void, it really taxes their resources. So when they eventually do uh, answer your card, they're not just sitting on all of these things that they can use to kill you. 
But you also brought up something that I think is pretty interesting, which is creatures against Breach. They're a lot harder for the Breach deck to answer, at least traditionally. So the first list didn't really play a whole lot of answer to creatures aside from the Cyborg Source of Plowshares. But recently we've been seeing a couple like Lightning Bolts in the main deck. Phil, have you noticed a difference between the like two Lightning Bolt version and Beating Breach versus the older versions? Yes, it's noticeably harder. Um, you wouldn't think so. But here's the problem. If they play two lightning bolts, they're not playing two lightning bolts, right? They're playing two lightning bolts plus a bunch of underworld breaches. And they don't have to just combo off with a breach. It's fine to take a value breach in a lot of cases. So, like, let's say you have, I don't know, a Thalia and a Revoker. Like, you're playing Death and Taxes or something, right? They can bolt one of your creatures, cast a breach, bolt your other creature play a cantrip or two, and set up to just go off again. Um, and then they don't have things like Thassa's Oracle clunking up their hand. Um, the bolts are very good, and they're just a win condition too, because once you have a breach and you've milled yourself, uh, you can get a deterministic lightning bolt kill if for some reason the mill kill isn't going to work, uh, which is true against like something like 12 Post that's playing Eldrazi. Yeah, I think that adaptation was a huge improvement to the deck. I always thought that Thassa's Oracle was a little cute, and this just seems a little more go for the throw. It's also a lot more versatile. And if you're a deck trying to beat hate, why not play a win condition that just beats the hate for you? Yeah. Um, so talk about other types of hate. Chalice of the Void is very good against Breach, but it's weird because Chalice is good on 0, 1, and 2 in the matchup for different reasons. And like each one... Uh, impacts the game differently but chalice just sits there and serenity and wear tear become a huge problem so that if you're looking to beat breach you really want to play cards that play around fused wear tear so like leyline and chalice often gets caught by a fused wear tear or a serenity and you lose out on all the hate that you have for one card and it's brutal so something like Collector Roof plus Leyline of the Void, for example, would be a lot more efficient. Yeah, or like a Chalice plus Scab Clan Berserker. Um, Karn the Great Creator uh, also is an all-star out of a lot of these decks because many decks haven't adapted with things like Chain of Vapor or Brazen Borrower or Echoing Truth yet to get Karn off the table. I would like to say that I don't really like that we're giving people advice for beating me as well. Uh, so maybe after Breach is banned, people can stop listening to this advice. Uh, but that's for the future. But I think Death and Taxes in particular has a ton of trouble against Breach for two different reasons. The first being that Breach can just often kill you on turn two, and turn one's very possible. Turn three, somewhat easy. So, like, the combo speed is difficult, and... Breach is very good at answering permanence. Uh, wear Tear, Swords to Plowshares, Serenity, sometimes even more than just that, uh, when you count the Lightning Bolts as well. Um, so you're often not safe if you keep a hand that has like a deafening silence to start with or something like that. It's just not enough. So Brian, why don't you tell us a little bit more about like the stack-based ways to interact with Jessica Breach? All right, so as the resident Blue Mage, uh, counter spells are not reliable against Breach because uh, we keep bringing up Orm's Chant and yeah, that's still a problem. Uh, 
disenchant effects, like e- even a Rupt Decay, actual disenchant, your own wear tears, also unreliable for the same reason. They can just check you with a silence, check you with an orange chant, and oh, yeah, do you, you have to counter that because it, it's do or die. So like worst case scenario for them, it's like uh, thought seize. Like they they get your fluster storm or they get your your whatever your counter spell, and then they can decide like. Are they resource low enough to just go for it anyway, or do I just want to sculpt another turn now that I'm ahead on this exchange? So, uh, all the traditional ways we have to fight combo are unreliable. Uh, they have their own counters as well. They are a force of will deck. Uh, graveyard hate, if you're going to play it, has to be lights out. Like you need rest in peace or leyline. Uh, the soft hate, like crypt cage, uh, surgical extraction, uh, fairy macabre, if that's your thing. Like those, those are not good enough. Uh, and the reason is like the surgical gets hit by the the same silence effect. Uh, Bryant just said this uh, a m- moment ago, but like Cage lets them build up their resources. Like every brainstorm now is a third of a card later when they figure it out when they navigate your hate. Uh, crypt, uh, they can they can sort of like dance around the crypt, like find a point where. It's scary enough they have to bomb you and then you just win. Like, Dredge has been playing through Tormod's Crypt since the beginning of time. And it, a Crypt isn't good enough. Unless it's backed by a Clock, which is what you need here. So you need good, like, rock-solid hate and a Clock. Uh, if you're planning to win with, like, food tokens turning into Elks, like, making a 3-3 every other turn, that's not good enough. If you're planning to, like find the one and treat the angels somewhere in your 60 cards. That's not good enough. You need Delver of Secrets, you need Monastery Mentor, Tarmogoy, Fendillion Click, Batter Skull. Like, you got to get in there. You got to end the game once you have the room to do it. And then, like we talked about earlier, too, like, there's, they're going to sideboard in mentors against you. So, like, you don't get to do, like, the cut all my plows, cut my Supreme Verdict, bring in 10 hate cards that you want to do against the combo deck. Like, you have to have that Plague Engineer still in your pile. Like, you have to have those Supreme Verdicts still around just in case. Like, it, it, it's a tough spot to be in as a fair blue deck. And I think even a lot of other decks that are trying to have stack-based interaction are similarly failing. So I played a league with red-green lands the other night, and I passed with, like, crop rotation up. And they started to combo off, and it's like, all right, I'll crop rotation, and I'll just spell pierce it and move on. So I'd like to point out how Brian said he was the resident blue mage, which means that uh, combo decks are not blue decks. Uh, just throwing that out there. Uh, but joking aside, uh, from the combo perspective, it is terrifying facing Jeskai Breach. Uh, one, they're just as fast as you. I've kept hands where I've had a turn two with the discard spell. My discard spell gets forced and then they kill me on their own turn one. That has happened to me. Uh, it's very scary because it's just Lotus Petal, Breach, Discard My Lion's Eye Diamond. And for the versions, the, the version that actually did this to me was playing um, Thought Scour. So they scoured themselves until they hit the Brain Freeze, and then I was just dead. Um, so that's kind of interesting because it's not always Brain Freeze. Uh, Thought Scour is interesting. It's like a bridge. Uh, it's not always the best card in post-board games, but I think it's interesting to say the least. Um, I have um, some thoughts on that. So I think Thought Scour helps you to combo as quickly as possible, whereas something like Predict or more copies of Intuition in those slots make you better apt to grind. So it's kind of one of those deck building decisions you have to make. How fast do I want to be versus like, 
oh, my opponent has made me discard six times and I need to like claw out of that or something. Yeah, that's always been a question with combo decks is speed versus consistency. Uh, but on top of Jeskai Breach being just as fast as Storm or other combo decks is, they do play these Silence slash Ormstrand effects, which really changes the dynamic because a lot of the time these other combo decks are forced to go all in and then Breach just gets to answer them for a single mana. So you end up shooting your wad for no payoff. Meanwhile, they get to sit on four or five cards in their hand and then just get to kill you on the following turn or the turn after. Um, I've actually considered playing my own Silences and, and Orm's Chance, but the problem is that Jeskai Breach has Force of Will, so that's not even effective. So they could try to go off with Lotus Petal and uh, Brain Freeze, and then I would silence them, and they would just Force of Will to my Silence. So that's a real concern. Uh, defense Grid. I know that both TES and Show and Tell both play Defense Grid, but it's just too slow. Uh, you play a defense grid, and then they untap and kill you, knowing that you can't interact with them. Uh, effects like Xanid Swarm can be good. We mentioned how creatures are kind of tough for Jeskai Breach. Uh, and Xanid Swarm is a repeated effect, so if you swing, they are pressured to silence or orms chant you, but then they get to untap and potentially kill you. Plus, it takes at least one turn for Xanid Swarm to be in play to protect you. Uh, with the speed of Breach, it's a little scary. Um... I think Discard is very, very good against Breach, but it's interesting in that Discard is in general bad against the rest of the format due to Veil of Summer. So there's this weird triangle that I think is actually a beautiful subgame of the format right now, where you have Discard in one um, point of the triangle, and then you have Veil of Summer and Silence in the others. And it's just like, what is right right now? And it's caused me to go back to a split inside of TES where I'm playing Veil and Thoughtseize. So I find it interesting that you think Discard is good against Breach, because anything you send to their graveyard just becomes fuel for later. So but you're, you're probably at, coming at that from the TES-specific viewpoint, right? Correct. Okay. So with combo decks, you're often looking to just buy time, where if you're a deck like Delver... Uh, and you're playing Thoughtseize or Hymn to Torok, because Bug Delver, I've noticed, has come back a little bit, you're... Discard is still good against them, but in a different way because you're applying pressure and just trying to keep them off their toes long enough for your threat to kill them. If you're more of a, uh, let's say you're a Pox player for some reason, and you're playing Hymnotorok or Thoughtseize, eventually they'll kill you with a full graveyard because you're not applying pressure. And the pressure from the combo deck's perspective is the threat of death. Does that make That's sense? That's pretty good pressure, yeah. Also, can confirm, played Pox recently. It was it was hard. I still five owed. Look, when you five O with four copies of Ashiok, what is it? I don't even remember the name of the card. Dream Weaver. <laughs> when you five O with that, it feels good. You don't forget it. So uh, this seems like a good way to segment into the next thing, which is like how to beat Breach, and I think discard is one facet that you can use and in general i don't like this card against breach but i think when paired with discard it's an exception i think surgical extraction when paired with lots of discard is an effective way of beating breach because if you turn one uh thought sees your opponent and you hit their breach and then thought sees it that's great or um, and then surgical i mean i'm sorry i misspoke uh then it's very good because now you can pressure the mentor plan you can fight the mentor plan on a single axis uh, but I think Surgical is really bad if you choose to hit Lotus Petal 
or Lion's Eye Diamond or Brain Freeze because they have other ways of winning. So Lotus Petal and Lion's Eye Diamond, you either have to hit both or none. If you hit Brain Freeze, they're going to grinding station you. Um, so it's really, you have to hit the Breach itself. Of note, I think if you have the option to take either Lotus Petal or LED, you're actually supposed to take Lotus Petal in a lot of the situations because it's very common that the Breach players are sideboarding out a bunch of LEDs for post-sideboard games. That is very true. So uh, the decks that you would want to do this sort of thing in are probably depth strategies. So if you're playing turbo depths or even medium depths, and then possibly Ant, although I think Ant is in an atrocious spot in the metagame. Um, shout out to Wonder Pro, who's a part of the TES community, who's a true hybrid between TES and Ant, where Wonder Pro uh, is willing to try new innovative things all the time. And recently, uh, his name is Max Carini. He's 5-0 to prelim and a couple other leagues with this uh, weird version running Silence, Veil, and Thoughtseize in an effort to beat Breach. So I think that's pretty cool. So do we want to talk about like Graveyard Hate next then? All right, I'll, I'll start. So as we've already kind of hinted at a couple of times, if you're going to hate on the Graveyard, do it strongly. So effects like Leyline of the Void and Rest in Peace are going to be better than a lot of other effects like, uh, say, Tormod's Crypt or something like that. All right, so let, let's have the fairy debate because I frickin' hate this card, and I think it is trash. Well, why don't we go down the list, Phil? <laughs> Let's not skip to your favorite part. All right. Let's go down the list. Then please. You were supposed to lead. I was just talking. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, no. It, it, it's on you now. I was about ready to hate on Fairy, so. All right. So don't play uh, cards that you plan to interrupt with the Breach Player mid-combo. So don't play cards like Surgical Extraction or Abrupt Decay. Uh, this is mostly because what we've already said. So to reiterate, Silence, Orms, Chant, and Counter Magic. Interrupting the mid-combo is actually very difficult, so you want to do it pre-combo, which usually means uh, permanent-based disruption and not stack-based disruption. So I tweeted this out probably about a month and a half ago. Leyline of the Void, that's my number one card I think you should be playing if you're a non-blue deck and you want to beat Breach. I've even seen it out of some Delver strategies. I don't know how I feel about that, but I, I'm not exactly a Delver aficionado. Uh, you can brainstorm away the extra copies, I suppose. Uh, but then there's effects like Grafdigger's Cage. I wouldn't recommend this. Chalice of the Void seems very good. We've already talked about how opposing or how creatures are very good. So Lavinia, Azorius Renegade, some vintage tech. Um, then Collector Oof and uh, Karn the Great Creator. So that's very tough for Breach to answer because it doesn't get hit by Serenity, Wear Terror. A lot of lists don't even play Chain of Vapor. It doesn't die to Lightning Bolt most of the time. It's insanely good. So I would be plussing my card and not using the negative until I felt safe. But uh, let's get to Phil's favorite part, Fairy Macabre. All right. I, I hate this card. I hate it with a passion. I believe that you should not play it in any Legacy deck, in any context. Full stop. Um, I believe that so frequently this card is not powerful enough to actually win you a game. Um, it sometimes stops one individual thing for one turn, but it just does not have a lot of oomph behind it. Now there's an asterisk here, because Fairy does do something that is important in the Breach matchup. You can activate it 
after your opponent has cast a, a silence or an Orum's chant, which is something to its credit in this exact metagame. So that's why I originally thought the card was fine. Um, I don't think it's a good card on its own. And in fact, I think it's actually kind of laughable. It's much better in a reanimator metagame, in my opinion. But being able to fight through silence is decent enough. And the way that I view Fairy Macabre is that it's a bridge. So when I was testing uh, Tormod's Crypt in TS, I knew it wasn't going to win me the game against Breach. But I thought it might buy me enough time to do my other things. So Fairy Macabre, in my opinion, if you're a Death and Taxes player or a Maverick player, or you just really like bad creatures, it will get you to that crucial turn two where a lot of these other effects don't. And I feel like that's always been one of the issues with Death and Taxes traditionally, is that their game really starts on turn two against combo. And you really just want something for that turn zero or turn one where you're on the back foot. And Fairy Macabre can do that long enough for you to buy time to do your other more powerful effects. Yeah. Um, I don't remember the player, but in one of the recent either 5-0 or preliminary deck lists, there was a Death and Taxes player who had four Deafening Silence in the sideboard. Um, and that's just a huge statement about how much trouble Death and Taxes has with Breach. Julian posted a 5-0-2 Twitter with Elves with four Deafening Silence in the sideboard. Yeah, uh, people, if you want to use your Fairy Macabs, you better do it now before these Breach players remember Abeyance as a card. For for one extra mana, they can stop your Tormod's Crypt once it's already in play. They can make sure you don't ferry them. Like, it, it's just... And it's a cantrip, so uh, that one's out there. If we're talking about how this game can play into the, the mid-game, or this deck can play into the mid-game anyway and just go off when it's ready... Like, what's another mana on your silence to make sure nothing works? Yeah. Anurag was testing two for a while. Uh, I believe that Anurag had two main deck and then it eventually became one main, one board. And I think he's just down to zero now, if I'm correct. Right. It, 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 two is a, is a lot more than one. <laughs> However, <laughs> if the hate adjusts around chant, abeyance is a card that there is. So as far as like hate goes, I think another thing that's really important is making sure that you don't set yourself up for blowouts. So I've seen a lot of prison players commit like Chalice, Chalice, Trinisphere, Leyline to a board, and then someone plays a Serenity, and everything falls apart. So I think a lot of the best permanent-based hate is varied so that you don't lose everything to one card. So like having an artifact and a planeswalker, an artifact and a, and a creature, an enchantment and a creature, some something like that in various combinations um, often sets you up better for success. For what it's worth, we've discussed this under Brian's point earlier, but you really need a clock. I had a local recently say to me, I had Leyline of the Void, but I lost anyway. Well, you need to back that Leyline of the Void up with Athalia or a Goblin Rabblemaster or Dryad Militant. I don't care what your clock is. You just need to deal them damage as fast as possible. And ideally, it's better if your clock is also a disruption piece. So you can laugh at Dryad Militant. It's actually fine against Breach. It's not lights out, but it's going to at least be a nuisance. And it comes down on turn one. So that will buy you time into your turn two collector oof or whatever else you need to do. So that's why I think that you should have varied hate. But I think creatures are honestly like one of the better ways of going about it because they only have two bolts and maybe a grape shot. 
but there's not a whole lot of other answers in that deck to deal with creatures. So if you're a deck that can afford to play creature-based disruption, it seems really interesting to me. So I think, like, Maverick does some really cool things against Breach right now. Because, like, in game one, your green sun for X equals one is Dryad Militant. And your green sun for X equals two is often Oof, Collector Oof. And then in the post-sideboard games, you can get the uh, the Deafening Silence as well. And just, like, be attacking from multiple different angles. And each one of your green suns represents a new hate piece that has to be answered with a different card. Um, I don't know how that matchup is overall. I haven't played it more than once or twice. Um, but those differing angles of attacks, I think that's important. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, the two of you I'll ask, do you think Legacy's healthy right now? That's a, that's an interesting question. I think there is deck diversity. I think there are so many different powerful things that you can be doing right now, uh, between like Oko, Arcanist, uh, Breach. I think you are going to see people playing a lot of different things, but whether or not we're truly healthy, eh, I, I err slightly on the side of no. Yeah, so this is a, a conversation that has been fleshed out many times among many smart people about what does a healthy format actually mean? And I know uh, Randy Bueller and Stephen Menendian have... Uh, gone to come to blows over this on Twitter multiple times where Menendian will present a, a spreadsheet or a graph that says, look at this pie chart. We are in a healthy metagame. And Randy's like, yeah, but there's 17 people playing vintage leagues. No one's having fun. This sucks. And like, uh, wh what do you call health? And I tend to be on the side of, is this fun? Are we enjoying ourselves? Like, when I open up Magic Online as a player who plays every format, am I going to join the Legacy League or am I going to play Pioneer? And right now, uh, I'm kind of still excited about Breach because I was working on other things when Breach was out there ruining the world. So I, I'm not quite super against it yet, but I know I will be soon. Like I, I've seen these patterns before and I probably will... I'm erring on the side of legacy is not super healthy at the moment. So I know that I touched upon this earlier where people haven't began to notice recently. Uh, they're still looking at Astrolabe, Vale, and Oko while Breach is dominating. Maybe that it just needs more time for people to figure out how to beat Breach. I thought that way with Ren and Six, and it obviously wasn't true. So I'm not saying that's not the way to always handle things. Sometimes you do need a, you know, give time for things to air out. I don't think that time is going to be the thing that fixes Jeskai Breach. I think a banning is the thing that is going to fix Jeskai Breach. And whether it's three months from now or six months from now, I think it probably needs to happen. And I'm not saying that because my deck's a dog to it. Like, I have a 20% matchup against Breach. I'm not saying this because I'm doing it for self-interest. I'm saying it because I think it's unhealthy for the metagame. When your deck is better than the entire Delver archetype combined... That's sort of messed up. Um, and for what it's worth, I think there's not too many times in Magic's history where Wizards has left the best deck in the format for a sustained period of time be a combo deck. It's just something to think about. Usually this combo deck will get banned, whether it's Flash or Reanimator back with Mystical Tutor. Or you can even look at other formats when you look at uh, KCI last year in Modern. 
if the best deck in the format is a combo deck, people tend to hate that format a lot more, and then they don't play, which is something that Brian mentioned. I think a big problem with the best deck being a combo deck is that it tends to completely invalidate like macro archetypes, not just like individual decks, but like decks of a certain nature. So if you cannot interact with Breach, your deck is not viable in Legacy right now. Full stop. So I played a league with Red Green or yeah, Red Green Lands a couple days ago, and I played against Breach three times, and I O5 that O5 that league, like playing my hardest. I just could not do anything to stop that deck. And I felt that a lot of my leagues with death and taxes have been similar. Yeah, the the warp effect is is another part of health where it's like we can beat Breach. But look at this sideboard I've constructed of four Leyline of the Void, four Fairy Macabre, four uh, this, four that. Like all these nonsense cards. And then I get paired against the guy who didn't get the memo who's just on Grixis Delver and I don't have a chance. I don't have a sideboard. Like, is that is that good? Uh, like, there have been points in all of Eternal Format's histories where, like, uh, like in Vintage, you just, like, if you leave the house with less than seven hate cards for Dredge, you're you're flying by the seat of your pants. Uh, it, in the Pioneer tournament I played yesterday in my Inverter deck, I cut every piece of hate for every other deck and just played 15 cards for the Inverter Mirror because nothing else matters. And I don't want, I don't think that's healthy. Like that's an example of something where I think something needs to be banned. And if Legacy ends up in that direction where people are playing weird cards, like I, I'm not a Maverick expert, but Green Sun Zenith for Dryad Militant doesn't seem like a line that they want to have to have access to like is dried militant a playable card other than in this specific i'll method? have you know i recorded and... a dnt league today with four of those in it that that's where we're at right so now. so you're confirming yep. my point it's confirming it's my point yep it's real bad right so i am a spreadsheet yep. nerd and i track all of my data i have ever since the banning of since he's divining top and excuse my dog who's sneezing right by me I don't know if the mic caught that or not, but now everyone listening knows that I have a dog who sneezes. Uh, but the, what I found with my numbers is that I was at about 70% before Just Got Breach hit, and now I'm currently at about 63, which is still pretty good. And I've done the math to average out like what my win rate would be if I didn't count all of the Breach losses. I'd be at about 67, and that you know 3% difference is people playing a ton of extra hate for combo decks. Um, it's just like something interesting that I think about, and I don't know, I just figured I'd share that. Yeah, I think that's another good side point, is that if you are playing a deck that the hate for Breach overlaps with, you've taken a hit recently. Um, and that has really strange implications on deck choices. So for example, if you're, you know, if you're the dredge guy in your local metagame, and now everyone is packing four ley lines, whereas previously they paid, played like one or two worse hate cards than that, you know, your life probably got a little harder. The dredge guy at my local shop just quit coming a month ago. Sounds about right. Yeah. Rip. Yep. That That is the the fate of all dredge guys for eventually. Uh, and, and like, we're kind of, and then it's like uh, that shift, like, Storm overlaps with Breach in a way that is unfavorable, but then you have like Show and Tell that is also a uh, turn two blue combo deck with Force of Will 
but doesn't care about its graveyard. It doesn't care about fairy macabre and like all this weird crap people are playing. So like now then you get into this arms race at the top of like who can build the fastest also blue also combo deck that dodges the hate. And then the meta starts to get really weird and pointy up at the top and in a way that isn't particularly organic or fun. So I'd like to point out that uh, the show and tell decks recently are all omniscience based. So the silence or orms chant plan from breach is even good against that version because you can allow show and tell to resolve and then just silence chant them, kill them, whatever. Uh, not that you want to let it resolve, but if it happens to resolve, you can buy yourself a turn if that makes sense. Yeah. To, to clarify with the show and tell on the stack, you, you cast the orms chant so that they can't cast something out omniscience. So I know that Phil has some pretty strong opinions on this. Phil, what do you feel like are the biggest winners and losers in this Jeskai Breach metagame? So, relatively speaking, it's a really good time to be a Chalice player. Uh, and this is often not true. But right now, if you are a Chalice player that also has Leyline in your 75, plus other non-artifact, non-enchantment hate, I think it's a good place to be. So you're seeing a lot of 12 post online. Uh, and this kind of used to be one of those like decks you played if you were like, man, I hate control players. I want them all to die. I'm going to cast something that goes way above their counterbalance. And now like Golos post is, I assume, relatively speaking, at a high uh, in terms of like metagame percentage. Um, so, like, I think it's a good time to be on those sorts of decks. Again, because, like, Karn is super, super good against Breach. Um, Loam is probably pretty good. Um, I don't have as many reps in as, like, someone like Matt's would, but Matt's is posting, like, a new 5-0 with Loam almost every day. Um, so he seems to be having a ton of success with it. But I do think you need to back up whatever Chalice plan you're doing with a real clock. Okay, so I guess I'll go over uh, a. I have a couple decks in my. I don't. I would agree that the prison decks seem like winners. I've seen a lot of more Dragon Stompy recently, or Mono Red Stompy, when actually top for the showcase today. But I think two of the biggest losers that are subtle that people don't really consider enough are Miracles and then the four color control decks. Miracles has such a tough time beating Breach, and it's because Veil of Summer is still in their deck, but Veil of Summer is awful if in the. Like I mentioned, the triangle before between discard, Veil of Summer, and Silence or Orm's Chant. Uh, so they're still stuck playing Veil of Summers because of the rest of the format. But on top of that, if they use a Force of Will on Orm's Chant or Silence, there's not a whole lot left in their tank in this miracle or in this control deck that like doesn't really gain that much card advantage because most of their card advantage is virtual between Oko and you know, better card quality with cantrips, they're not actually doing a whole lot. So if they're using a force of will to stop silence, that means they probably only have three cards in hand. Um, and it's also slow. They don't have a clock. So like Brian mentioned, uh, rest in peace is good, but they don't really back it up that efficiently because so many lists aren't playing mentor. And four color control, they have very, very little actual graveyard hate. Like Niall Spellbomb is not acceptable. I don't care what anyone says. Yeah, un unless your name is Strifo, that, that card probably shouldn't be in your deck. All 
Uh, yeah, I, I just want to once again loop back to clock, like always be clocking ABC. Like that's what you got to be doing. I've been I've been pushing this for years. Like I I'm the one who has two or three mentors in every list all the time. If you know, Honorog's out there winning with Ren and Six and Entreat the Angels, I still have three mentors in my deck. And I, like you just have to be able to pressure every deck not we've been talking in the context of jeskai breach and combo more broadly but like even like death and taxes or like lands like you gotta end that game somehow and having a card like monastery mentor that can just like okay i've identified i have like a turn or two of breathing room here jam this thing cantrip cantrip you're dead like you you need that button in your control deck uh and you're gonna beat every fair deck by doing that like uh Phil, you're you're the you have some experience on the death and taxes side. Like, what's what's the difference between like playing against miracles with with mentor and miracles without? So mentor? here's a, here's a great story. Um, I drove to Tennessee to play in this small IQ in a shop that like we were literally sitting in like lawn chairs to play this legacy event. Like they were they were past capacity. Um, and I make it to I think top four and I get paired against Wilson, and Wilson taps out on turn three for a mentor. And I just look at him like he's a madman. And I'm like, why aren't you waiting to like play that with a bunch of cantrips? It's so much safer if you do so. And he just looks at me and he said, yeah, but if you don't have the swords, you're dead. And I didn't have the swords. And I died. Yep, put him to the test. Yep. And like, usually like, uh, I there's like the, you don't have it. If you do have it, you have to spend your turn doing it. And if I force your one plow, you're done. Like you, you don't have two. I know you don't have two. <laughs> You're lucky to have one. So like just the the games where you can like you don't always have to play 20 minute games because you signed up with a blue deck. Like you can you can just kill your opponent. That's okay. And I I think that's a huge problem with a lot of decks is like if Baleful Strix or Ice Fang Coatl is your clock, like good luck. It's not enough. Yeah. You can't 20. Remember Baleful Strix when people used to play that card? Because I don't. It's been so long. Oh, modern. Yeah, now it has Flash and it's still not that great. <laughs> yeah, okay, you say that. And I'm over here with like this Phyrexian Revoker on Oko going like, can I attack? Can I attack into open mana and just lose the game if they have Ice Fang? Yeah, I just want it's, it's so bad. I miss so much damage now. It's like people that swing with Metal Image into Snapcaster. Uh, I don't know. Yep. Can't do it. You just can't attack with any creatures ever against a blue deck. Yeah, definitely not Jessica Breach either. So I think... I don't know if I have anything else to say. I don't know about you guys. No, I, I mean, we, we don't want to beat the dead horse here. Breach is really good. And right now you need to either be playing Breach or you need to be playing something that's good against Breach. And if you're not in one of those two camps... You need to admit that you're playing Legacy for funsies, and there's nothing wrong with that, because, like, I play I'm a whole right here, lot of bad decks. But, like, you have to admit that you might not be doing the best thing in the format in terms of, like, your win percentage and whatnot. Why do you have to put me down like that? I mean, I'm over here recording D&D leagues, so I can't judge. Yeah, so, like, there's always going to be some threshold where, like, your pet deck, your meme deck is not your best chance to win the tournament. But then there's like the threshold where it's like, 
your pet deck, your meme deck is Miracles or The Epic Storm or Show and Tell, like tier one decks. And it's like, oh, that's cute. What is it? December of 2019, LOL. Like, it just like so quickly invalidated so many things. And it's not great for anyone. Yeah. All right. Well, I would like to take a second to thank you for everyone for listening to episode 18 of the Eternal Glory podcast. Uh, stay tuned. There will be more great content coming. And I just want to say thank you, Phil and Brian, for joining me on the Eternal Glory podcast. I can't wait to do so many more episodes with the both of you. This was fun. I'm looking forward to more. Yeah, I'm very excited to do this. Um.